0: Welcome to the Perspective Maintenance Podcast, where we approach topics from different perspectives to help us get unstuck. I'm John Chow, and my unique life experiences have caused me to cultivate a specialized skill set with people. I know that a big part of your desire to get unstuck is because being stuck has kept you from finding out what your full potential is. And it frustrates you knowing what you're capable of, but not being able to achieve it. I have successfully coached people who didn't think they could find a way forward because I have perspectives that most people don't see and insights that most people don't have. This podcast is called Perspective Maintenance because if you find that your perspective is out of tune, then it's time for some maintenance. One of the big things that we're going to tackle this season is all about our perspectives. And when we shift our perspectives, there's usually some kind of pushback. And sometimes the perspective changing is really easy, and sometimes the perspective changing is really hard. And that's why today we have a very special guest who is a returning guest. My good friend Heather is such an incredible professional, and she understands this field so well. So I brought her on today to talk about having a different perspective on understanding change and how to make change work for you. Because here's the thing, change is inevitable in one sense, and maybe it's not. Maybe we can all go um, dig our houses ourselves into a hole and just stay there and stay the same. And there's a tendency and temptation to do that because change could be so uncomfortable. But if we want to be the person that we were meant to be, then change needs to happen. So I would rather help equip you with understanding change and the different stages of change then for you to go through change without this critical information and then maybe not have such a good experience. So I'm so excited to share this episode with you, with my good friend, Heather. You can find her podcast, Templates for Life, where she really talks about the different templates that you can have in your life to make your life the fullest life that it possibly could be. Yes, I know you can tell why Heather and I are such good friends now, because both of us really care about your personal development and ongoing maintenance of your personal well-being. Heather, I'm so glad we're having this conversation on this very uncomfortable or un- unlikable topic of change. <laughs> I don't think anybody likes change.
1: Not if they've not had a good experience with it, no.
0: Do you feel like even though we've had good experiences, we could still resist change?
1: Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't know what we're going to get on the other side. So the unknown can impact that a lot.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah. I feel like sometimes even if our situation was worse off, but we know what to expect, the predictability uh, causes us to stay within that situation versus opting for change, which could be better, but then it's also a complete unknown. My brother and I are very different in this way. He's very risk averse. He doesn't like change knowing. Even though there could be a better opportunity, he thinks of it as there could be a worse off opportunity. So I guess that how our brain thinks about it.
1: Yeah. And I think it depends on what kind of change you're making. So if I make a change that changes who I am in my role, like in my family or my friendships, if I was always the person that brought the snacks and suddenly I don't bring the snacks, it's like shock to everyone else's system.
0: Ooh, So it's not just change with us, it's also change with other people. Dang, that's a lot to think about. Before we started recording, you talked about this really cool framework because of your profession and what you do. Can you walk the listeners through this model of change?
1: Okay. So stages of change, two professionals got together and they DiClemente and Prochaska, and they were trying to figure out what people did or what stages they went through before a change happened. And they ended up talking to people that had stopped smoking. And they said, "Okay, so walk us through everything from before you even thought about stopping smoking to actually stopping smoking." And if your doctor tells you you've got a health problem and you should do something about it, we can agree or disagree with the doctor that that's really an issue to pay attention to. So that's precontemplation. Some people call it the stage of denial, and I think it's hard to. The semantics aren't are the same as far as. I don't think I have a problem. I don't think I have a reason to change. Then I go to contemplation. Maybe I should change. Maybe I should take care of my health. So if I use the analogy of somebody that wants to become a runner, pre-contemplation is, no, I don't really think running is a thing. I'm not there. Then pre-contemplation, maybe I want to start running. Maybe it's "Mm," stage. And then planning can be, I think I'll go to the mall tomorrow and get some sneakers. Right. So I'm thinking about, so I've gone from, I don't even have this on my radar to maybe it's on my radar to I'm going to plan to do something about this. And then from there to action, I'm at the mall buying the sneakers. I'm going to put them on tomorrow. When I put them on and I run that's action. When I run the next day, that's action. When I repeat that action long enough, and I'm running for weeks on end, that's considered maintenance. I'm continuing that thing that I contemplated, planned for, started the action, got to. Sometimes I'm going to stop running maybe and sit on the couch for a week. That's relapse. (laughs) And we come out of maintenance and go to relapse in the world of addiction. We call it recovery after the maintenance kind of thing. But I can go in and out of those stages at any time. Wow. So it's not linear. I can go back up to pre-contemplation and go, I don't think I have to run anymore. I
0: don't want to. Interesting. And that's not a terrible thing because sometimes it's good for us to reevaluate what we have in our life. So just because we were doing something before, it doesn't mean that that thing has to be in our life going forward. And it might be a healthy thing. Now, if it's something that's good for us and then we've fallen out of it and we want to get back into it and we're questioning ourselves if we want to keep doing it, keep running, then that may be a little bit of a challenge. As you're talking about it, I'm kind of like, wow, for me, what is like from stage to stage, there are their own barriers. And I wonder if, for example, if it's easier to go from contemplation to planning Or if it's easier to go from planning to action and it's harder to go from pre-contemplation to contemplation. Do you know what I mean? Like some, and and is this different for everybody or are some stages just harder to get to from one to the other?
1: I think it absolutely depends on a person's intention and what they think is going to happen. So even in that, you talked about this being a positive thing, the change. Even if it's a negative thing that we're doing, that we have to change. Whatever it is that we're doing or not doing is serving a purpose. Mm. So being able to say, I'm not going to run because I broke my ankle five years ago and I might do that again. Right? That change, that pre, but the doctors told me that I can and it's safe and all those things. But it depends on that kind of internal dialogue where I'm at. But no matter what stage you're at, you can do things within that stage that can create change.
0: Mm. This is so interesting because how do we deal, like, for example, I mean, we had talked previously and maybe this is why our recording happened today, where a, a friend talked about how the platform she uses for hosting her podcast is free. And I was using one that was not free, but because I had signed up for that originally, and it's very easy to use and I'm comfortable with it. I was like, well, it's not a big deal. It's $18 a month. I, I can afford that. So why change to a different platform if I really like what I like right now? And then a couple of days later when I was driving, I was kind of like, wow, John, you're so resistant to change. (laughs) Why is there so much resistance? Is it because I am so comfortable with one platform and I don't like the idea of using a different platform? So anyways, I challenged myself to switch platforms for the sake of being somebody who has an open mindset or a growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset. And it was such an interesting exercise for myself to challenge myself that way. Why do you feel like sometimes we have the desire maybe to to do something? Let's say for example, I want to run and I talk about it for years and I say that I want to, but then it's constantly in pre-contemplation and not really in full contemplation or not even in planning mode. Why as human beings, I don't know, in your opinion, why do you think we do that?
1: Perceiving it as a risk can be part of it. Perceiving Ooh. it as okay, if I become a runner, then people will expect me to run. Like I've set a bar, Ooh. and the minute I'm not running, right? So then, performance anxiety or my role. Everyone else is a runner. I'm not. Mm-hmm. If I thought of those kind of things, and and going back in and out of the cycle of of the different um, stages might not be for that thing. It might be for something else that's getting ready to happen. So your switching platforms might not have been so much about switching platforms, but about you've been challenging people to think about and look at their perspectives. And so maybe it was an internal challenge for you to shift your own perspective. It wasn't even about the platform in and of itself.
0: Oh, a hundred percent. How can I be somebody who challenges other people and hope for them to take on the challenge when others challenge me and I don't take on the challenge. Now, it doesn't mean that every single time we're challenged, we take it on <laughs> and then all of a sudden I'm just going to do everything now. But I yes. think the understanding or at least for me, the awareness of why I would or would not take on the challenge. And in this case, I felt like not taking on the challenge, just switching to another platform seems kind of silly because it's not like it's that big of a thing to do. Granted, all my stats were on the other platform and now I'm starting new and all this other stuff, but that's not, you know, a huge inconvenience in itself per se. If I can't even do something smaller like that, then what are the chances of me switching my perspective with something that is bigger?
1: Right. And you were in pre-contemplation because nobody had brought this to your attention. It wasn't in your sight. so. It's not a bad thing to be in pre contemplation. I think that's why I I dislike the term denial because it means you're fighting against something. Uh. And I think sometimes it's just that we don't know what we don't know.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's so neat. And I think sometimes we also think for something about it for a long time. And then we, I wonder if there's not just uh, the difficulty in the transition from stage to stage, like pre contemplation to contemplation or contemplation to planning, but also not just the difficulty, but also the length. Sometimes it might just take a while for something to really stew and sink in. And then all of a sudden be like, okay, I'm ready. Let's make, let's, let's do this.
1: Yes. And remember that the brain is wired to protect. So if we're changing something, we're changing the homeostasis of everything we know and everything Ooh. we've been doing. And the brain's going to be like, mm, you better not. Mm, we don't know what's going to happen. Mm, that sounds risky.
0: Wow. Okay. So then Heather, are we going against our nature? <laughs> Should we just like not. You know what I mean? Like, are we are we just, let's say, conditioned because of modern society to grow and to expand ourselves and to think differently and all these wonderful things that we think are wonderful. But if our body and our brain is telling us not to do it, are we just going against our human design?
1: Hmm. Well, our human design, as it was in that old brain, was meant for physical survival. Oh. Right. I'm not going to go out of this tribe of people I'm living with because I know it's safe. Now it's sort of like, okay, raise your hand if you ever rode in a car without a seatbelt as a kid. Mm -hmm. Depending on how old you are, we never wore seatbelts. We sat in the back of the station wagon and sucked exhaust through the window. But we now know that's not a good idea, right? People now know secondhand smoke isn't good. We can't smoke in restaurants. We have evolved through understanding education and, and research and all those things. But that lizard brain is still in there going, eh, oh, maybe not. Be careful. No, no, don't do that.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So, fighting ourselves. Ask yourself the question, why am I holding on to this belief or behavior or relationship or whatever it is?
0: Wow. That's so interesting. And that kind of goes back to guiding principle number nine for me in the mini series that I did, respond instead of react, how reacting is very instinctual. It's like the lizard brain of ours, but responding is more intentional. And I think when it comes to change, we can also, my instinctual reaction to somebody else telling me that I can use a platform that's free, why am I paying for it? Immediately, it was kind of like, you don't know all the benefits of this platform. You don't understand why and how easy it is to use. That's exactly why I'm using this. It's worth 18, you know, it was very much in that stage of like instinctually, my lizard brain was in protect my own, defend myself mode. But then I had to switch from that into a more intentional kind of like, oh, okay, maybe she has a point there. And maybe I did, am doing something that is unnecessary. And sure, maybe the user interface is better, But I won't know until I try this other thing and then I can decide for myself what I really want to do. It's so interesting. You're right. Maybe the lizard brain isn't always the right approach. And for us to intentionally decide how we want to approach life now requires a little bit more intentionality and contemplation.
1: Yes. And be careful of the word motivation because if we wait for motivation... Chances are it's only going to arrive. Well, actually, we know this in the science. It shows up because we've already had a positive experience. Oh, so motivation to run after I've broken my ankle isn't going to show up. Got it. If I run and I have a good experience and it feels good and I get all the endorphins and all the, the things, I'm going to be motivated not to run. I'm going to be motivated for those feelings, for those endorphins, for mm-hmm. the result of running. So with change, sometimes it's easier to step back and say, what is it that I want to feel or think? What are the things I'd have to put into place to get to that? I want to feel um, strong. I want to feel healthy. I want to feel energy. Well, running would equal those things, would get to those things.
0: Interesting. And then all of a sudden, because we can make that connection, we feel more, quote, quote, motivated to uh, attempt it at least. You were talking earlier about how if I start running, then I set up a precedence for other people to think that now I'm running and if I stop it, then I'm going to feel, you know, shameful or or embarrassed about it. How do we like, I'm learning more and more as an adult, which sounds, you know, silly to say, but I'm learning more and more as an adult to do things for myself versus doing things for other people's perception. How can I approach what we're talking about today?
1: Okay, so I'm going to do a podcast on this more fully and more deeply, but there are some key questions questions to ask yourself. Mm. One of them, where did this belief come from? Where did the belief come from that I can't do things for myself? Where does that come from, right? So is it society? Is it what we grew up with? Is it because I'm male, female, any gender identity that I am? Is that belief coming from that framework? And then. What is the risk if I change that belief behavior? I might lose a relationship. I might have to be held accountable. That's a whole issue to take care of with being held accountable to something. Mm -hmm. Um, And what do I gain? So what do I lose and what do I gain with that belief? Mm -hmm. I, I gain confidence that if I don't set the bar, I don't have to do anything. So yay, let's not set the bar. I gain a sense of self. That's a whole question, sense of self. Where does that come from? And am I allowed to have a positive sense of self?
0: Mm, that's so interesting. I I feel like there has also just been a mm, unplanned g- growth and change. There's like a, a random generalized stat that says about every seven years or so, your style changes a little bit. And I'm sure it's more than just fashion. It could be a lot of other things as well. And a lot of really wise mentors that I've had before, they say that in the duration of marriage with their spouse, they've almost married a different person, like several times because people change over time. And there isn't really the sameness that we would expect for that to be. And so that is we resist change. And I talked about resisting change for myself, but yet change just also just seems inevitable. What is really then, yeah? What are your thoughts on like the fact that we just change naturally over time? I think
1: it's I think it's another survival mechanism because oh. if I was behaving as I was at age twenty, now still, I, don't know, I might not be gainfully employed, right? Mm-hmm. So we have developmental. If you look at the lifespan, the developmental stages, when those come into play, there's a shift around who am I as a person. Yeah. So somebody at age 20 has an identity of self, very different than 30, 40, 50, if we just use the tenure and it, we ad- adapt to our environment. My kids as infants, I was a very different mom than my kids as teenagers. Yes. Right. And now as adults and I had to grow and shift with them and people around me changed, friendships changed, all, all sorts of things. So I think we change because Being stagnant isn't productive. We all were just where we were 10, seven years ago, even seven years ago. Think about where you were at seven years
0: ago. Yes.
1: How would you perform in your world as it is today? Yes. As that person seven years ago would be very different.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And it's so interesting because I feel like I personally have felt the benefit of change time after time after time again. And I'm so glad that I am who I am today because of all the things, the change that I have gone through. And I almost don't recognize myself in one way, which is wonderful. And yet if I were to use the motivation analogy that you mentioned of the feeling like go go towards how good it feels when this thing happens, there hopefully might be some extra motivation to reach that feeling. And the feeling of the result of change feels amazing. Yet, even right now, I have this love hate relationship with change. And I wonder if it's just going to be this wonderful discomfort thing that I'm going to have for the rest of my life.
1: One of the biggest reasons change occurs is because of something that's uncomfortable. Ooh, yeah. Um, they kind of play with each other. If my pants don't fit well, yes, uncomfortable, I'm going to think about maybe not having that fourth burrito tonight. Like, whatever it is. But discomfort doesn't have to be negative. I I think we equate stress, discomfort, all those things with negative, and they can be beautiful jumping off points to doing something differently.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. Almost like I'm so tired of my current circumstance and I just don't want it anymore. And I'm going to make a decision to change. It could be a highly positive thing, not necessarily just negative.
1: Exactly. It's how we perceive the word and how we believe that that thing is going to be, again, the beliefs. Where does this belief come from? Correct. And what do I lose or gain in keeping that belief?
0: Wow. What's one practical step then that we can take towards being more open to change?
1: I think, think about times in your past when change has been a positive experience and think about how, what you did through that process because we forget that we are so able that to go back to the thing. So in crisis intervention, mm. so if, if someone's had a crisis event, when if they had other crisis events? How did they handle it? What did they do? What did they need? Mm. So change in the past. If it's been positive, think about what you were doing and what you surrounded yourself with. And if it was negative, think about what you were doing and who you surrounded yourself with, right?
0: Yeah, or not. Wow. That's so cool. And I feel like your, what you do is so neat because your clients come to you because they don't have the ability to see things from a different perspective. They need your support to either assess their situation or to provide a different way of thinking that then allows them to tackle their situation differently. And maybe that's what we need sometimes too. I love thinking on my own. But I do know that most of my breakthroughs happen when I'm interacting with somebody, especially like yourself, someone that I trust and that I really am able to be vulnerable with and share certain things with that are then able to have a breakthrough of like, oh, wow, this is actually how I'm thinking. And then someone like yourself could provide a different perspective for me to then shift my thinking a little bit.
1: Yeah. Well, and the science shows also typically change does not happen in isolation. So even going through those stages of change, there are going to be other factors and people and events going on. Sometimes people will go from pre-contemplation to action. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but typically it's like a play game. There has to be some other things.
0: Yeah.
1: There. And having a space to explore that beyond just internal conversations is super important and productive.
0: Mm. And then I guess then it the, leads us to ask, Who are the people in our lives that we can have safety with to have these conversations with, not feel like we would need to put up a front because we are protecting ourselves, but really be able to sit down and be like, hey, this is actually what's going on with me, not being worried about feeling shameful when we're sharing with the other person because there's somebody who's trustworthy or proven to be trustworthy over time, that then we know that they will be able to respond to us in a constructive way.
1: Yes, and as much as you want that in another person, being able to do that within yourself is important
0: too. Damn, that's good. Yeah. What? How do we do that with ourselves? What do we do?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Again, you can reflect back. When I did this thing, it turned out well, and, and these are the steps I took, and this, is, this was my attitude toward it or my energy around it. Mm. And remembering the things we've done well, not yeah. just the things we haven't done well. Because again, the brain will pull up the list of you messed up here. You did this wrong. You hurt that person's feelings, whatever. Yep. Because it's saying, pay attention. So that doesn't happen again. Uh, It hopes it's protecting you. So being able to bring up the list of, wait, but I kind of rocked it here. And I was really awesome there. And someone said this thing about me there, bringing out the things others have said about you that were positive can be helpful too.
0: Yep. So cool. I feel like you've given the people who are listening a really great practical way to have conversation with ourselves, to really ask certain questions that then can prepare for change. And then going full circle, you mentioned the very beginning that sometimes the change isn't just difficult with us, but other people have a hard time when we change as well. What can we do to either prepare them? (laughs) I'm I'm thinking about preparing other people. This is a funny conversation in one sense. My parents have been here for 25 years and they are so comfortable with the environment that because there's so much Chinese things around that they've mostly forgotten all the English that they've learned and it's just so convenient like right now we live in a place where they are at a like they're in between three major Chinese supermarkets their churches in Chinese all of their friends like all of everything that they need to do is almost in Chinese and I've prepared them over time to say, Hey, my mom and dad, I may or may not meet somebody who knows how to speak Mandarin. So there may be a, a change in your life. And I there. I could, I have no idea. I don't know what my life is going to hold, but I'm slowly preparing them for future change if that is the case. So at least it's not such a shock to them. What can people do if they feel like, okay, I'm going to change. I'm going to start to be a, a slightly different person in the way that I am interacting with people. I'm not always going to be the one who brings the desserts or whatever that is. How do people prepare for the people in their lives for the change that they're planning?
1: I think first of all, give yourself permission to say that the change is okay with you. Like you really have to own it and be okay with it. Mm. Because it'll be really easy to get knocked off your horse and decide to not get back on.
0: Yep.
1: Right? So if I say to everybody, I'm going to be a runner, and I'm determined and people are giving me a hard time and giving me a hard time. It won't matter because I was determined. Yeah. If I'm not sure about that choice and people go, mm, I don't think you should be doing that. It'll be easy for me to go, all right, yeah, never mind." Mm-hmm. Preparing people, talking to them ahead of time is a wonderful gift you give them and yourself. So I've done things this way all along. I'm going to start doing things differently. And I just want to let you know, because it might be weird for you, because it's going to be weird for me. Just validating that it is a change for you. Yes, but it's also a change for them. So imagine yourself on a teeter-totter with someone and you just jump off. What happens to that person still on the teeter-totter? <laughs> right? Cr- they crash. And then what the heck was that? Yeah. So I'm going to announce that I'm going to get off the teeter-totter. I'm going <laughs> to let you lower yourself. <laughs> right? I'm going to prep you gently as much as possible. And sometimes change happens and there isn't a lot of precursor that can happen. But I think, or pre-conversation. And, and I think then acknowledging the discomfort they may have over it, mm. if, and this could be relationships, this could be parenting, this could be work, whatever. So when I'm working with families and they want to change how they've been doing parenting, they are challenged, they are demanded. I make it happen, but tell the kids you're going to parent differently because they're going to be in shock, Right. If Tuesday was always this way and suddenly Tuesday's not that way, they don't know what to do with that. That leaves them feeling unsafe because they don't know what to expect.
0: Totally. Do you feel like there is almost, it's almost like exposure therapy. Is there a benefit in introducing change into a, let's say, a teenager or child's life earlier on that then prepares them for more change that happens in the future so that they're not so caught off guard?
1: Sure. And I think there's just organic things that happen that if you, explain it to them as this is different than last year. This is, you took this course and you didn't like it. And so you changed over to that course and it worked out well, like showing for teenagers, particularly showing them a visual, of this happening and it's okay. And you can do change. It's okay.
0: Totally. And I feel like even having the conversation of saying, Hey, when change first happens, you're going to be a novice at it. And the feeling of being a novice is so uncomfortable for so many of us, especially I would say, let's say, for example, we worked at a different workplace. We just got a new job. It feels amazing that we got a new job, but then now we're also the newbie at the job. The role might be similar to our last role, but the environment is totally different. Maybe the way of doing it is different. And then all of a sudden we don't feel like we can be that star performer that we were in the last job because we're in this novice stage right now, even if we have a certain level of expertise. And I think a lot of times for me. My avoidance to change is because I really don't like the experience of fumbling around being this novice that is still getting up to speed with then having some mastery over it. And if I'm doing this consistently, then I feel like then I would just constantly be in this messy mode of being a novice versus a comfort mode of having the mastery over it and knowing exactly what I'm doing. It's no different than cooking a new you know, recipe or. Trying something that we've never done before. It's, it's both exciting. But then once we actually get into it, be like, oh, what did I sign up for? I'm so bad at this. And nobody wants to be bad at something. I know I don't.
1: Mm, right. Again, where's that belief system being bad at something, right? <clears throat> what is that about? Yeah. If you won't feel masterful in the moment, what's going on? What, where's that stemming from? And also with the novice piece, anything we've done, we weren't a perfect Performer, the first time we did it, whether it was walking, teaching ourselves to eat, right? Making a recipe. Maybe it came out great the first time, but our first time learning how to cook maybe wasn't as wonderful. Um, But reminding ourselves and being compassionate with ourselves Mm. you didn't have the expertise, you got to the expertise. So I'm not running a marathon, but I'm running some getting to it. Yeah. And I think you said something just now around that excitement. We sometimes label anxiety to our, our, our feeling. We title our feeling in the moment as anxious. Yes. The excitement. It could yeah. be that I'm hungry. It could be that I'm thirsty. It could be that I didn't sleep well, right? Yeah. And if we label everything under this negative umbrella of anxiety, mm. that can stifle change too.
0: Oh, a thousand percent. And I wonder, I mean, one of the things that I like the most about you is your ability to see a situation and laugh at yourself a little bit. And you're, you're encouraging so much of the people around you to have the same kind of feeling. And I wonder if my whole attitude towards trying something new could be like my attitude towards blooper reels. Everybody loves watching blooper reels. We find it hilarious. Well, now I'm just creating my own blooper reel by trying something for the very first time. It may work out well. It may not work out well at all. But then what if I can laugh about it? What what if I can have a great story now that I can talk about this disaster baking scenario that I had and my inability to understand this and that when it comes to temperature of the oven? Or I think it's just so much better in life when we can, in one sense, not take ourselves so seriously and then have the ability to laugh at being a novice or whatever, and then be excited be like, yeah, I did. It. I tried something new. And what a great experience. So to not be so much about the outcome, which I think I as a professionist can be so fixated on. I don't wanna try something new because if the outcome isn't good, then I've just wasted the time doing it. But what if the experience in itself of doing it allowed me to discover more about myself, allowed me to also then have the ability to be humorous and laugh at myself and be in this way so self-compassionate, like you mentioned, and then that experience is important in itself because I'm practicing self-compassion instead of just saying that I have self-compassion.
1: Yeah, exactly. And goes back to an episode you did once on overthinking. When we get on the train and we are just thinking and thinking and thinking, we aren't even seeing the the beautiful scenery or remembering when to get off the train or any of that stuff. And overthinking becomes part of that survival process in the brain. Hmm. But coming up with scenarios, well, this could happen. What if this, all of that, it's survival stuff. So you can honor your brain and say, thank you. Thank you for protecting me and taking me down this rabbit hole. And I know I'm okay. I know I can figure this out in a way that isn't going to be anything but wonderful.
0: Because mm. it's
1: going to be okay either way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is so cool. I'm so glad we talked about this today.
1: I am too. Yeah. And I will say too, on the overthinking as well. You miss out on the fun of the process. So if I'm making something, if I'm building something and I'm more worried about it being perfect and enjoying the cathartic, mindful, hammering the nails or whatever, I've missed so much of the experience. So it's about the process, even more than the product.
0: Yes. So
1: maybe I won't become a marathon runner. Sure. But I will some really great sneakers. Like that can be enough.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. I, so I'm five years younger than my older brother. And when my older brother was a kid, my parents bought all these Lego sets for him because he loved it. And then by the time I was old enough to play with Lego, it was no longer like sets. It was just a mix of all these different Lego pieces. And uh, there wasn't even an ability to sort them to make the sets of where they were. But then what my brother and I did was just starting to make our own collections. So we would take these random Lego pieces and we would make our own Batman collection or whatever that was. And I found that the process of just playing with Lego and mm. coming up with something and trying it to see if it would work. And then if it didn't, trying something else, that was just really good for my soul when I was growing up. Whereas I feel like I have so much less play now and I have so much more perform now, and I was kind of like, if I am doing this thing and it doesn't result in this, then, oh, what a waste of time. But playing is so important in itself. And so there's no awareness of even outcome. Because the process of playing is restoring for our soul and probably for our creativity and so many other things that we don't even realize. The outcome of that is so valuable, more so than the product that is done afterwards.
1: Right. And so the catchphrase is now around meditation and mindfulness and all of those things. They're ways to make everything else go away.
0: Mm.
1: Even if you're meditating in a way that you're not emptying your mind, you're giving your mind a script, like a guided meditation. Mm-hmm. Those those things are so necessary for the brain to have a break and so necessary for us to have mastery somewhere else. So positive psychology is a, a big piece of that is what is a thing you do and when you do it, everything else goes away. Is it reading a book? Is it painting on a canvas? Is it doing a sound walk, a, a, a listening walk? Those things are so necessary for our mind and body to have. Mm. Uh, great from the reality of the worlds we're living in
0: totally well everybody can definitely tell why you're one of my favorite people to talk to because Amen. it's just so much cool things that come out and i feel like we've given a, our listeners um a handful to take away which is really cool for those of you who don't know heather and i are both going to be launching this episode on our respective podcasts, so we'll just do a final because if you're listening to on heather's podcast you'll know where to find her but we're still going to talk about that right now and i'll do one for myself and then we'll wrap up heather where can people find you
1: so i'm on instagram right now and it's let's do the daily differently and there's a bit of a change coming on the horizon so i do i'm challenging myself to change so i will announce that on my platform but you can anywhere you listen to podcasts pretty much it's there and yeah, I, and just to say, I'm not saying all this to say it. I actually put this into practice yesterday Ooh. and I did a, I did a silly reel because I just, I'm watching them and I'm like, that's fun. I could never do that. I can't do that. That's no, no. And I did one and I purposely told myself, don't overthink it. Just do it. Just do it. And I just did it. And it was Really silly. And I had so many texts late last night, friends going, What are you doing? You need to go on TikTok and whatnot. (laughs) But you there's an energy that arises when you make that shift with compassionate intention.
0: A hundred percent. And this is something that's said often, but what looks and Brene Brown talks about this, what look what feels like vulnerability to us looks like courage to other people. So your friends probably looked at you and be like, of course, Heather would do this. She does all the, you know, cool things. And then to us, it's kind of like, oh, I'm going to look so stupid in front of so many people. And we just don't have a very accurate assessment of the situation when we do things ourselves because other people usually look at it and to be like, wow, it's so cool that she took on this new project or that she's trying out something new. And then I had a really good laugh. So mission accomplished. <laughs>
1: well, thank you. <laughs> And where can people find you, John?
0: I am the John Collective on Instagram. And that's also my uh, website, thejohncollective.com. If you want to find out more about my services, including Perspective Coaching. And then my podcast is Perspective Maintenance. So thank you for such a great conversation. As always, we're going to need to have you on consistently.
1: I love this. Thank you.
0: Okay, holy moly, or as our good friend Holly says, holy bananas, there is too much in this episode to wrap up, but I don't really know how to wrap it up. But I will give you some of my key takeaways because there are just different things that we're all going to take away depending on what stage we're in. So this is definitely one of the episodes that you can come back to again and again. Maybe when you're more ready and you're in a different stage, this episode will speak to you in a different way. So I want you to put this in your back pocket. So just to review, there are five stages of change and this trans theoretical model is what we're talking about today. First stage is pre-contemplation and then we go into contemplation and then we go into preparation and then we go into action. Then we go into maintenance. Now, this is really important because we're not just trying to entertain change, we're trying to create permanent change. And when there is permanent change, then we're a new person. And there's nothing that feels better than being a new person that is constantly growing. Yes, it is a little bit nerve-wracking, but at the same time, I'm sure you would agree with me that you would rather not be anybody else but who you are today. One of the things that really stood out to me in this episode was to think about how change in the past has been positive. We're all creatures of habit. And if we have a good experience in something before, then we'll likely go to again. Think about our favorite shirt or or sweater that we wear in our closet. And so if we have a good relationship or memory of change, then we'll likely be much more warm to future change. And so if you don't have a good experience of change, maybe let's do an exercise and think back when, what's one time in your past that change has been positive. Now, this is also very connected with what Heather said about how it's very important to be mindful of how we label things. Because if we label things under a negative umbrella, like the feeling of anxiety, instead of under a positive umbrella, like the feeling of excitement, which both of those have very similar symptoms and sensations in our body. We can either think of it in one way or another. And so how we label things is so, so, so important. I want you to really think about what is your default state of mind, and maybe we can shift it into a different kind. So then let's think about it. What is a change that needs to happen in your near future? or maybe what's a change that you are foreseeing that will happen. And because this is upcoming, that's why this episode is here to prepare you. So then I want you to think about, how do you feel about this change that's upcoming? Does it excite you? Does it worry you? Maybe it does a little bit of both. What can you do to prepare for it? And this is my recommendation to you. Walk through these five stages and plan it out. Imagine where your head would be at in the various stages, and if you can predict that a little bit, then maybe it'll help you when it's time to reach that stage, especially maintenance, because the last thing we want you to do is to go through all the trouble of going through the first four stages and then not be able to maintain it. Now, in our new tradition for season three of Going Forward, there's going to be a solo episode with more reflections on all the amazing things that Heather has talked about that I'm going to have. So if you want to leave any comments or ask any questions, please do. By Saturday, there is a questionnaire or feedback form in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you and what your thoughts and your experience are of this so that I can share this with the listeners and there are other listeners because you're also a listener. <laughs> and so this way we can have a lot more engagement because your thoughts mean a lot to me. And I want us to go through this journey together. So if you can submit all comments and questions by Saturday afternoon, then it'll make it in time for the Sunday solo episode. If you're new to me, uh, you can find me on Instagram at the John Collective. And you can also look at my website and learn more about me, which is also thejohncollective.com. If you want to find out more about our community, we have a Facebook group, also called The John Collective. (laughs) I would try to make things really easy for you. And of course, if you ever want to reach out and have some one-on-one coaching time, I'm happy to jump on a call with you and find out what's going on in your life and really be somebody who can help you with your perspective.